Apologies. Oofta. Oh my gosh. You're listening to Ah Geez, a Fargo recap podcast from Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Tracy Mumford, and we're bringing you a special episode midweek. We talked to writer and filmmaker Hyde Erdrich all about Hansi Dent and what's going on with Fargo, but that was before Monday's episode, so we knew we had to check back in with her. What did you think of the episode, Hyde? Well, it was extraordinary and unexpected. Suddenly we have depth and development of this character who's been going along just being the scary Indian muscle, Indian with quotes always, and then we find him in Sioux Falls confronting... Uh, the racism that exists outside of this, the family in which he has been ensconced. I thought it was really interesting that that plaque on the bar uh, in Sioux Falls is reminiscent of an actual monument that was in Mankato, Minnesota, until a, you know a couple decades ago. Right, and the thing is that it's it's interesting is that it would be recognized, of course, by Indian people, Dakota people, and and their allies, and would not have been comprehensible, I think, to any other audience. So that was, to me, this was the first time there were layers of images and associations that I could read as a Native person, that I could start to see more in them, and more of thoughtfulness of who that character would be outside the crime family that he's been part of. And I mean, the reactions that he gets from the other people in the bar, I mean, this isn't overblown. This was a real problem in the era. Oh, yeah. They're not overblown at all. I mean, I don't think that most uh, folks would walk into that bar. Most uh, Sioux guys, American Indian, Dakota guys of that era would have walked into that bar, especially seeing that strange sign there. Uh, they, It would not have been a welcoming place. And it's just the fact that he's been used to being the muscle and being respected wherever he goes that I think allows him to walk in there and, and have that moment. What did you think of him trying to bring up his his war record, his time in Vietnam as a way to almost justify having to be there? That was interesting to me, too, because, you know, he's wearing his old army jacket. There's no insignia visible. He's not advertising his veteranhood on that jacket. It's just what guys wore in those days. They wore military surplus. So the fact that he has this moment where he has to say, hey, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I've done all this. It, to me, I felt like it was his credential in a world other than the crime family had to be offered. And he realized even in offering it that it wasn't going to be respected. He was going to have no context of respect outside of that family. And the family's breaking up, so he has to do something. I thought it was interesting how they didn't have him snap until those men followed him out of the bar and kept pressing with all of those stereotypes and taunts. I mean, he was pursued. Yeah, I mean, he was ready to leave, and it didn't look like he was going to get his gun and go back in the bar, but that wouldn't have surprised me, uh, given the way the you know the shows have gone. Uh, yeah, so I think it really, they wanted us to know that he was responding to the harassment, the racial profiling, as we call it now, but didn't then. At that point, I mean, he just wounds those two guys, but then all the bets are off because he executes the bartender, and when the state troopers show up, you know, he's definitely shooting to kill. Yeah, and he's not getting rid of witnesses with those two. He wants them alive. He's just leaving them there, wounded. What did you think at this point? Did you think this was, like, the straw that broke the camel's back? I mean... We've heard people saying similar things to him throughout the whole season. So what was it 
for this character in this moment? I think he's on his own and he's outside of of the the context of his crime family. He's outside of his role as a soldier of sorts, which is what he's been, and he's going to have to find an identity. And I think it's like it's an identity crisis. So then at this point, I mean, there's even more of an identity crisis because he goes and he locates Dodd, who he's supposed to be, you know, Dodd's man. But obviously that doesn't end well for Dodd. Right. And I think I could even be found on uh, recorded as saying he would never harm Dodd. That's his his ultimate loyalty. And he turns around and uh, shoots him. So I had to figure that one out. And I think really that moment in Sioux Falls in that bar unhinged him and made him realize that he has he doesn't have the life that he thought he had. And being called a half-breed by Dodd, too, in that moment, I think, uh, shows that he, he was not going to have the family he thought he had with Dodd either. And we kind of talked about maybe the Gerhardt family has some connection to Native Americans. When he calls them a half-breed, I mean, is that a reference to, I mean, maybe he is an illegitimate Gerhardt son? Yeah, I mean, it easily could be. I'm not going to uh, speculate on that one. Or I'm not, I, can't, I don't have any uh, certainty of my speculations on that one. But it does show that he is considered less. And it's, a, it's an insult. It's hurled at him uh, from somebody who needs his help. And he makes his call. He's like, nope, I'm not having it anymore. And also, I think you can see that Dodd's not going anywhere if Peggy was able to, you know, have him over. <laughs> yes, Peggy was able to wrangle him like three times at this point. Yeah, he's not going to have any safety or security with Dodd as any kind of leader. So I think he's, the you know, it, it's reasonable that he would just shift loyalties at that point, even though I thought it was not possible. I now see that he could have done that. Okay, and then we have to talk about what follows the shooting, which is the request for the haircut. Yeah, now that was the part that really struck me and is of all of the things that he goes through in this episode, that moment was the most real to me. It actually tugged at my heart because for many Native people and for Lakota and Dakota people, cutting your hair is a sign of grief, mourning, changing. It's a really intense thing for someone to ask to do, to give up that identity. And he says with just such feeling, you know, I'm tired of this life. And you don't know if he's tired of the life of crime, tired of the life as a Native person. Is he going to try to pass somewhere? Is he just trying to hide out and needs his his appearance shifted? You know, we don't know. But that moment is just so poignant where he says he's tired. And he asks for a professional cut. Yeah. And I don't know if he wants to look like a professional or if he just means he wants her to do a good job so he doesn't look like he just butchered his hair, you know, the way he looked as the little boarding school boy or the little, um, you know, one-room school house boy in the earlier episode with his hair kind of just packed off. I was curious then because they make a, a clear point of showing that Peggy does not even manage to cut a single hair on his head. He manages to, yeah. to get up and flee before even a strand is cut. Yeah, I noticed that too. I wasn't sure if that was just to show Peggy's hesitancy or just so that we know he's leaving without uh, 
without having managed to have, leave behind anything of himself. And he's just walking away from that. In fact, he's taking the scissors with him, we think. So, yeah, I mean, to, to me, he still has a chance to reclaim something of himself or to make a different choice or, you know, go hole up among his people is what I would expect him to do. But I'm not sure. I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to take any bets on his behavior because he's a real person with lots of, um, you know, he's a fuller character now, and I can't tell what he's going to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think he'll go back to what is left of the Gerhards? No, I don't. But I really don't know what he's going to do. And like I said, I shouldn't speculate because he's, you know, it's more complex. I'm hoping that he will do something interesting. Doesn't seem to be concerned at all about the two lawmen that were after him. He thinks of them probably differently. That He'd had a chance to kill both of them many times, and he didn't. So perhaps he thinks of them differently than, you know, their encounters were uh, somehow different than the encounters in Sioux Falls with the, or what he expected them to be. What did you think of, going back a little bit, his interactions with Constance in the hotel room when he's kind of holding the phone and her? Well, that was, that was terrifying. He had clearly meant her, you know, no good. And I, I doubt we're seeing Constance again, I think is the way it was put in the last conversation but you know and he pulled up her hair there was a little fearfulness about what he was going to do to her there and I was worried that it would be some sort of stereotypical scalping scene or something I was really worried about that but then it's just left you know it's just blank we don't know and I don't know if we'll ever know that's what I was curious about too I mean a lot of people on Twitter were like oh mentioning scalping and things and I'm like we haven't seen anything like that from Hansi before I felt like a lot of people well, he gutted were, that rabbit. <laughs> he did, but I guess I'm talking about when he, he cut Joe Bulo's head off, but he cut the whole head off. Right. Yeah. And on, on orders, we think. We don't think he's simply got, you know, some tendencies in that regard. So, no, no. I don't know. But there was just a subtle little, uh, you know, suggestion there. And it, I, I think we all got it. There was something slightly painful about the way he pulled up her hair. So... Um, yeah, I think we all, I mean, at least it was meant to appeal to that sense of ourselves uh, that we might all have of what the imagery these, you know, has been worked with, the imagery that's been worked with in this series so far. I think it was intended to put us in that mind. Was there anything else about this episode that really struck you that you want to talk about? I think that the characters are doing unexpected things, you know, so that's, was sort of strangely fun, even though it was vilely, you know, gory and disgusting. And of all the ways that Dodd could have grabbed Ed coming into the cabin, he decides to hang him on a noose, you know, in a series where we see that plaque about the 22 hanged uh, Sioux with quotes around it, Indians. Yeah, I, I think that there's more pulling together at least in terms of motif in in the show. And I'm more interested in looking at those things. So there's more surprises. I'm just asking because I'm curious and I had not made up my own mind on this, but do you think both Blumquists are going to make it out alive, Peggy and Ed? I don't have a lot of money down on Ed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they seem to be these like almost wily E. Coyote characters and that they keep escaping like imminent death by their bumbling yeah. interactions. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, early on, I thought Ed's Ed's number is going to be up, and also the sheriff. I don't. I don't have a lot of sense that they're going to last all that long. Um, yeah, I think it's the pure of heart. Whether they're completely insane, gone round the bend or not, are the ones that will make it. I, I believe that's the the formula that I've ascertained. And who knows, Holly might not feel like sticking with that, but that has been part of the the um, franchise of Fargo. So you we'll think see. you think Ted Danson's going to go down? Yeah, I do. I think he's doomed. <laughs> Was it his alien languages that did him in for you? Or? <laughs> no, I don't know. It was just the the fact that he has, um, you know, the, there's there's a woman who loves both the lawman and, you know, she's sick and we don't, you know, we expect her to go, but usually someone else goes instead. So he's he's sacrificial, I think. That's fair. Well, on that note, look out Ted Danson. <laughs> And thank you so much for catching up with us and talking about all the action when that went down. Yep, thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. <laughs> Thanks, Hyde. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with a recap of Episode 9 and an interview with Carol Case, who did the costumes for Fargo. You can also still follow us on Twitter at Podcast. That's A-W-J-E-E-Z podcast. Till Tuesday.